1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 32 through 40 would be viewed as hopelessly archaic by our progressive contemporary scholars. But God did include this statement in His inspired revelation. It could be worth our time to think carefully about what the Apostle Paul told the Corinthian church and why. Was he proclaiming hatred for God's good creation and the need to open up monasteries all over the Roman world to escape the decaying earth? Or was he revealing something far deeper, a truth that could set us free from stress and alive to things that would last? Let's join our Bible teacher, Dave Wordson, as he talks from Corinthians about free to care, not to worry. The Apostle Paul in this paragraph, verses 29 through 31, talks about the time of the end. He shifts, and I think that it was the present distress that the Corinthians were facing, the time of persecution, that for Paul always acted as a springboard into the intense persecution, the intense time of stress that would come at the end. And the Apostle Paul says this in verse 29. What I mean, brothers, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they had none. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. And I could read that. Those who weep as if they were not weeping. Those who are rejoicing as if they're not rejoicing. Those who buy something as if it was not theirs to keep. And those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Now as you read those verses, it's very easy to think once again the negative side that the Apostle Paul is telling you, you should not get married, you should not rejoice, you should not weep, you should not buy anything, you should not use the world. Now if you want a classic passage for proving a monastic life, there it is. All of us, if we want to be consistent with this passage, need to sell all of our belongings. We need to divorce all of our life partners. We need to go into a monastery which will be divorced from the world, and then we will fulfill the dictates of this passage. Now, that's one way to look at this passage. And this shows us again how important it is to listen carefully to what an author is saying. Now, think about it. It tells us, don't rejoice. Can anybody give me a scripture verse that would contradict that? Don't rejoice. You've all got it. How many rejoice in the Lord heard all ways? And again, I, let's throw that out. Contradicts right here. What about weeping? You should never weep, right? That's what it says here. It says don't weep, doesn't it? Can anybody give me a verse that tells us that we should weep? What about the Lord's command in its holy word? The Apostle Paul, rejoice with those who rejoice and we should weep with those who weep. I knew this Bible was contradictory. You see there? You know, there's an amazing thing. Paul adds a little word, as. He didn't say, let those who are married not be married. That's what some of the Corinthians wanted to say. He doesn't say, let those who cry not cry. He didn't say, let those who laugh not laugh. He didn't say, let those who buy, you need to stop buying. It's sinful what you're doing. It's sinful for you to have anything. He added a little word, as. 
In the midst of this portion of Scripture that can be used to talk about a monastic life, which most of you would never buy, in the midst of misinterpreting this verse, you miss one of the most blessed truths that you could ever learn. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? This present world, he says, is passing away. What's happening to it? Tell me. That's a real bummer, isn't it? Don't you wish this present world just went on and on and on? There's a part of you that does. But I want to share something with you. You know what's wrong with a lot of you that are living under stress today? Every one of you that's under a depressive stress. You know what's wrong? You're afraid you're going to lose something. You're afraid it's going to pass away. Some of you are worried to death. There's some moms in this group. You're worried because you're afraid you're going to lose your kids. I'll never forget Karen, Hannah, was taking our kids to school when they were just little kids. Remember, she came up to me one time after picking the kids up, and she was white as a sheet. And she said Joel was coming across, getting into the truck, and another car went just whipping by. Joel just got missed by a hairbreadth. Never forget, she just white as a sheet. And boy, I was white as a sheet when she told me about it. We all worry. You ever worry about your kids? I just dealt with a mom who's scared to death about her kids. Her kids are healthy. Her kids are relatively mature. One of them is away at college. And that mom's life is being just torn in agony, terrible pain. We just wept and cried. Great, great fear and depression because she's afraid about her kids. That's a hard fear. When I share something with you, you can't hang on to your kids. You gotta face reality. One of the biggest problems in our life is that we want to hang on to things. We don't want things to change. See, some of you have the old home place where you go to, where there's a little bit of your roots, a little bit of your parentage. It's the place where you go. Some of you are wrestling with this even now because your parents are passing away. They're aging. And every time you go back there, it brings back 30, 40 years of memory. But as you're there, there's this deep melancholy that comes over you because it's all changing. You know what the Apostle Paul is saying? That's what depresses us. That's what worries us. You see, some of us, when we're faced with that situation, we've got this beautiful rose of memory in our hand. We want to stop time. We want to stop things. One of the deep stresses, I'm just trying to share with you from my heart, some of the life experiences that all of us have to go through. And here we have the roads of memory in our hand. Houses, lands, shared family experiences. And just like that, the house is gone. Where will we go then? The whole situation changes. There will come a day, if the Lord tarries, where I could be gone. And that produces deep worry and stress. You know what the Apostle Paul says? He says to every one of you, don't live for those experiences now. Don't make your whole existence that rose. Don't make your whole existence that family. Don't make your whole existence that house. Don't make your whole existence that job. Don't make your whole existence that promotion. Don't even make that whole existence that person you want to marry.
You see, the tragedy of making the ultimate focus of our life something in the here and now is it's always going away. That's true. It's reality. You can't change it. I can't change it. And one of the worst things for us psychologically is to deny what's really happening. And the Apostle Paul says to every one of you, are you worried today? The depth of your worry is that you're holding too tight to the now. You're living too much for the now. And Paul's not saying that piously because he wants to hurt you, but it's because he loves you. And he says, I don't want you to live inconsistent with reality. I want you to enjoy the now. I'm not telling you not to buy things. I'm not telling you not to marry any more than I'm telling you not to be happy or not to cry. You see, I could paraphrase these verses. The Apostle Paul says, young people, adults, children, as you go through life, you're going to cry. You're going to laugh. You're going to get married. You're going to lose partners. You're going to remarry. Some of you are going to not find other partners. You're going to be single. Some of you are going to be able to buy a lot of things. Some of you aren't going to be able to buy anything. Some of you are going to be very wealthy for a time, then you're going to be very poor. Some of you are going to work 30 years in a company, and the company's going to pull the rug right out from underneath you. And then what are you going to do? The Apostle Paul says, the world in its present form is passing away. And that's why he lovingly and tenderly comes to every one of you and says, I want the depth of your heart. I want the commitment of your life to be for a land that will never pass away and for a king who will never grow old. And only the, mir the miracle of the Holy Spirit of God can move through this group today and cause some depression and some worry and some fret. You know, one of the greatest burdens that I have in the ministry is to see some of your eyes so filled with despair and hurt and pain. And all I would pray that the Holy Spirit might move among you, that you would be able to open your hand, that the tightness of your life would be able to release, and you'd be able to enjoy the rows of life, the rows of family, the rows of homes, the rows of shared experience, the rows of possessions, the rows of lost possessions, but you'd live with your life open because you know that one day you're going to live with Christ forever and ever. That's the message of these verses. He's telling us that we live in a world that's fragile, a world that's passing away, a world that's filled with all kinds of changes, a world which Christ will soon bring to an end. And if Christ doesn't come back in our physical life, just in the natural process of aging, we'll soon come to an end. But rather than it being a bummer, it can be up if our eyes are on the Savior. He says this as we move to the final section. I would like you to be free from concern in verse 32. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affair, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of the world, how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affair. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Paul has a subtle play in this section. He begins, 
And I think he introduces this paragraph by saying, I don't want you to be worried. I don't want your life to be filled with stress. Then he goes on and talks about that a single person can worry about, but it could also be translated positively, the single person can care about, which is a positive thing, the thing to the Lord. And then he talks about a married person who can care about the thing to the Lord, but also needs to care about the things of the wife. And I think there's a lot of interplay, a lot of very subtle nuances in this paragraph. For one thing, I think the Apostle Paul is undergirding every one of you that are single and saying, you have a special thing. You can be undivided in your devotion to the Lord. Especially in times of stress, there's a lot less worry in your life because it's only you to worry about. And so you can give yourself to that group of young men or that group of young women that need your training. You can take them on those campouts. You can visit those people in the hospital. Just untold number of things that you have time to do. And the Apostle Paul is stressing that. But I think he's also underneath that. I think there was a party in Corinth that was saying it's more holy to be single and that a lot of the singles were worried about maintaining their holiness by not getting married or not having sexual relationships. And there's almost a feel in this passage that the Apostle Paul says, all of you are worried. Some of you are even worried about serving the Lord. Some of you are worried about that. And the Lord has taken many years of my life to teach me slowly but surely, and I'm not there yet, but I'm getting closer not to worry so much about serving the Lord. You see, the Lord doesn't want us to be anxious about serving Him. There's nothing worse than an anxious believer that's killing themselves to be spiritual. Oh, are they a burden? Maybe you're like that. You see, I think sometimes when we're laboring, Lord, will you be pleased with me? Do you like what I'm doing? Which I think so many of us fall into. Because so many of us live on a performance standard. We think, if I do this, if I do this, if I do this, God will really be pleased with me. We look at somebody else and they'd say, we'd say, well, God's really pleased with them, but He's not so pleased with me. I think Paul in this paragraph is saying, listen, I don't want you to be worried. I don't want you to be so filled with anxiety. I want you to accept the place in life that God has given you. And I want you to notice something, married couples. I want to share something that I think a lot of believers forget. After you get married, now get this, after you get married is not the time to decide to be single. I'm going to say that again. After you get married is not the time to decide to be single. I'm really preaching to myself. You see, I can devote myself to 40 hours of study in the Word of God, another 40 hours of counseling, another 20 hours of hospital visitation, another 25 hours of prayer, and you run out of hours in the week, and I can say, well, I'm really being spiritual. And Mary, get off my back. Get those kids out of here, because I'm doing the work of the Lord. Baloney. It's nothing but pride. And that's why most pastors' kids turn out to be the worst demons in the town. Because of pride. Or the evangelist that travels all over the world. His dear darling wife waits for months. They have kids 
on the interim vacations in between evangelistic campaigns. That's wrong. That's why you'll see very few evangelist kids that are evangelists. And a whole lot of them that are agnostics and atheists and everything else. Because they hate God. When in reality they're not hating God, but they're hating a dad who was never there. You see, it's very serious to listen carefully to what the Apostle Paul said. He's saying, did you hear what he said? If you're married, you need to care about the things of the world. Whether or not the garage is swept out. Whether or not the cars run relatively well. All those things that I would you know, very much like to forget all about. Whether or not the kids are doing all right in school. Whether or not the kids have coaches for their athletic teams. If you're married, you got to care about the things of this world. Oh, it's important to do that. And there's once again that balance. If you want to be single, if you want to devote yourself fully to the study of the Word of God, like some guy at seminary where Dave and I went, they wanted to spend 75 hours a week just studying the Hebrew text and they get all excited about it, then don't get married until you've got a better balance in your life. The time to decide to be single is not after you're married. And I want every one of us to remember that. One of the keys in life is to accept where you are in life and to use it to the full. Paul closes the passage by counseling those that are going together. I believe it's a passage of a, young, of a man, maybe a 25-year-old man or a man that's getting a little bit older with a woman that he's been betrothed to. There's another way to look at the passage, and, uh, a father that's debating whether or not to give his daughter. I'm going to take it that it's a, a man who's been betrothed to a woman and in light of the persecution, he's debating back and forth whether or not he should get married. And the Apostle Paul tells him, because of the present distress, maybe you shouldn't get married. He says, if you can control yourself, if there's not a driving force in your life to get married, if you can handle the sexual pressure, then he's saying, you do well if you don't get married. He also says, if the girl is getting up in age and you've been betrothed to her, and also if sexually you're being very attracted to one another, then he's saying to get married. Now, I want to close by telling you some parents something very important. If your kids begin to fall in love with somebody, and your kids begin to be devoted to somebody, one of the most important things you need to find out is whether or not that person is a believer or not. I want all the young people in closing to remember that. Because it scares me. I'll talk to some of you parents and you'll be all rejoicing. Oh, my child's going to get married. And I'll say, well, are they believers? And you go, uh-uh. Well, they go to a Baptist church. How many of you went to a Baptist church for a few years and weren't, weren't born again? Say, oh, they go to a Bible church. Yeah, maybe they went to a Bible church. Maybe they're not born again. Well, there's this and there's that. You know what you are? You're chicken. Boy, there's, as I look around this room, there's some, there's some precious grandmothers and also some precious moms. And I know of a mom that almost on the second date sat the kid down that their daughter was going with and said, Are you born again? You find out quick where someone stands. But how could you ever be like that? If your kid's marrying an unbeliever, it's going to be a rough, rough time. And I've talked to so many kids. That's why I'm telling you straight, because I've talked to a lot of kids 
Because nobody ever told him that. Paul says to only marry in the Lord. He told widows, you can marry anybody you want to marry, which is that individual responsibility. Nothing wrong with getting married. If your husband dies or your wife dies, you can remarry, contrary to all the emotions against it. There's nothing spiritually wrong with it. But it's got to be in the Lord with somebody that's in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's the centerpiece of life. And if you all disagree about the center... You're not going to ever agree about the periphery. And it will tear your marriage to smithereens. But suppose we have two young people that are believers. They're going together. They're in love with one another. They really want to get married. Be careful, parents, about putting all kinds of wait, 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 wait. And in our world, this is a very delicate problem because it takes so long to be able to get the financial resources to be able to make it. But you know what I see a lot of parents doing? They think their kids need to start out where they are ending up after 50 years. One of the worst things that can happen is some of you parents have the resources that you can start them out there. And you hurt them. Because you're still leading You're still the source of security. You're still the center of strength. Now, there needs to be some very creative thinking. But if there's two young people that are really committed to the Savior, and sexually they're really being attracted to one another, then we need to let them marry. And we need to bless them in that marriage because it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And I want to share something with you. And I'm just going to tell you straight, even in the modern world, premarital sex, I don't care if the person is 25 or 30 or 106, it's wrong. It doesn't work. It's a breach of trust. And we have some of our kids that are put in situations where they're devoted to one another, they want to marry, but it's got to be way out there, six years down the line. The Apostle Paul says, if you can't control yourselves, the answer is to get married and come under the Holy Covenant so that that passion can be fulfilled in the place where God intended for it to be. If you break that rule, you're going to have distrust, You're going to have fear. It could produce major disruptions in what otherwise God would intend to be a very beautiful, holy relationship. The Apostle Paul, once again with balance, says, some of you will be able to control. When I was in college, I went to school with some kids. I went, one of my best friends in closing has a combined Ph.D. in neurophysiology and an M.D. degree. Did research at Rochester University and Uh, there in Rochester, New York. And he went with a girl for six years, pure, holy, total control of himself. And, man, I looked at him and said, man, how can you ever do it? But it was his gift. And he controlled himself. He lived purely. Then he got married. Now he has eight kids. They've made up for lost time. I think they have about eight. In my own life, I met Mary when I was 18. I was married when I was 20. And my sophomore year in college was a basket case. I had organic chemistry. I couldn't remember anything. 
My telephone bill was hundreds of dollars. I got married in the middle of my junior year, and we paid all of our bills, and we went on with our lives. My grades settled down, and the Lord enabled us to do it. And if you say, well, you can't get your education. After we graduated from four years of college, Mary and I went on to nine more years of that crazy stuff. Nine more years, four years of Dallas in the master's, five more years in the doctorate, and we paid all the bills. So you can do it. And the scripture says if you're devoted to a person and they're a believer and the Lord is pulling you together like a magnet and you find that there's strong desires, you get married. And then you trust God. And that's where parents need to give wise help and wise guidance and wise advice. Let's pray that the Lord will help us to balance all these principles and that we'll take responsibility for our own lives before God, that we won't put a burden upon people that did not intend it to be there.